So it's good to be here and just want to kind of carry on where this has been going, really, in terms of our time together. Um, you know, the Bible says in Colossians that to, well, a couple of things come to my mind. One is when you come together, each one has, you know, something to contribute. And that's good, isn't it? And this morning, look what's going on. I mean, it's great, isn't it? Different ones bring different contributions, prayers, prophecy, encouragements, and all those sorts of things. Each one has shows the body's alive. <laughs> you know, we don't come to um, performance on a Sunday, do we? We don't come to watch someone do something. That's not what church is. Um, you know, I always say that the church is not a spectator sport. It's just not. You know, we come to contribute. And um, so when we gather like this, it's good that each one has. And then, and then there's that bit in Colossians that uh, came to mind of when, you know, let the message about Jesus dwell richly among you. May, may the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done find its home among you. And, and that's what's happening this morning. If you're new to church, by the way, I realize, you know, you know, I've said, you know I remember when I first walked into church, 25 years old, and hadn't been to church before, and it's like, what's going on? This is not church as I expected it, and I totally get it. If you're here for the first time or with a friend or something, and you're like, well, hang on a minute, this isn't quite what I expected. Um, but, um, yeah, church is family, and we come together, and we gather together. And I just want to carry on, really, with the message of Jesus, um, and hopefully feed into what's been said already, um, and, and then, um, yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, I haven't been, well, many, we meant to be here a couple of weeks ago, but um, COVID caught up with us. So um, <clears throat> on the sort of tail end of that, we were okay. We're out of it. We're negative. Don't worry. Um, it's been a couple of weeks now, but uh, just sort of tail end of it. If my voice is sounding a particularly um, deeper than normal, it's not because it's breaking. It's uh... <laughs> Anyway, um, question. What do you think God's like? Don't have to answer it out loud. But if someone was going to stop you in the street and ask you that question, what would you say? What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? Hmm? Loving, that's a good one, Joe. Absolutely. It's an important question. What's God like? Because actually it shapes everything else. And again, if you're, if you're here, you're not a Christian, or you're sort of exploring faith and you're trying to work out what it's all about. It's a key question. What, what is God like? If there's God, well, what is this God like and how can we even know? And the um, story we're going to look at in just spend a few moments on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 13, is this point in the story again, where t- turning point where the, 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 ne- the next, um, from John chapter 13 to chapter 19, is like a 24-hour period. There's this kind of condensed time in the story of Jesus, that the story of, uh, of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do has been building and building to this point, really, in John's Gospel. If you've got a Bible, turn to chapter 13. We're going to sort of step through some of this story. Disciples have been with him for three years. They've given everything to follow him. And, um, and I believe that this story, although very familiar if you've been around church any length of time, if you've been a Christian, and I believe that Tom Scrivens was with you a few weeks ago. I've got a feeling he even spoke on this, and it may have been from John's Gospel. It may have been from one of the different Bible, um, um, Gospels um, about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to speak on it again. Because if you're anything like me, A, A, first of all, the gospel writers have it in their stories repeated. If you're anything like me, I need things repeated several times. And also the beauty, 
the absolute beauty of God's word is you can read the same thing time and time and time and again. And there is a depth and a depth and a depth. It just seems to go on. Yeah. Isn't that true? Well, I find that true. And, and the gospel stories are like that. And this story is like that. And I've called this just following in the footsteps of the God who stoops. And so chapter 13, if you've got a Bible, open it up. I'm just going to read through sort of verse by verse, as it were, and um, step through the story. And it says this, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What's God like? Loving. Joan just said, the hour had come. Well, the hour had come for what? And I think last time I spoke on John's gospel, I mentioned through John's gospel, you get this kind of repeated phrase of, of Jesus says, my, my time hasn't come yet. And John says, Jesus, time hasn't come yet. His time hadn't come yet. And now we hit the bit in John's gospel where he says, now the hour has come. Now the time has come. Now a moment has arrived. And it says, Jesus, knowing what? That he would depart out of the world. Like I said, the whole of John's gospel, building and building and building to this point of this, the, the, the death of Jesus. And, and again, it, it doesn't um, cease to, I think, amaze me, the, the uniqueness of Christianity, the uniqueness of the gospel message, um, the uniqueness of these stories, in, and of the focus on, on the, this death of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, amazing teaching. Yes, Jesus, amazing wisdom. But Jesus said, ah, the hour's come now where he was going to head to the cross and die. And this focus on the death of the founder is unusual among world religions. Significantly unusual. What's that all about? Well, I think it's because God is treating the deepest need that we have. Not just the need for teaching and for wisdom, good advice. There's a proliferation of that, isn't there? <laughs> you know, all over the place of good advice and well, you know how to do life like this and how to succeed in that. Whereas I believe what God is getting to here is the roots of our problem, ultimately, our relationship with Him, forgiveness for our sin, and this is why the context of the Passover, this Passover lamb, if you know the story in the Old Testament, where God passes over the the blood of the lamb is put over some doorposts and the angel of death passes over. Those households and they're saved, they're rescued. And that's the point. Points to Jesus, the Lamb of God, beginning of John's gospel. This is the look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, that, that's why earlier on, actually, just, just that, that word about pausing on, on, on the being what it's being to be forgiven. And Hannah, you shared that, I think. And, and taking a moment to, to just pause on that. And think, Hang on, I'm really forgiven. And allow the forgiveness of God to really penetrate and take hold of that and believe it. So important. And it's so important. It comes through this story here as well. Um, the love of God here where it says, you know, he loved them to the end. It's like this, almost saying that, that, that there's something in what Jesus is about to do in this foot washing. But also pointing towards the cross that gives full expression to the love of God. You want to know what God is like? It's there. Look at the cross. It's the love of God displayed there for us. Does God love me? Yes. Yes. I heard some story of some 
famous preacher who, um, I can't think of his name, he was so famous. <laughs> but anyway, he was up in front of some class of students, of leaders or something or other. And some young guy asked him, you know, come on, what's the most profound lesson that you've ever learned in your entire Christian life? This guy was about 80 odd years old or something like that now. And um, what's the most profound biblical truth you've learned? And apparently this guy just paused and he just stood there for a little bit. He said, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And those words can be spoken by a little child and... You hear them, you go, that's great. They can be spoken by someone older, (laughs) you know, and and there's a depth to them and there's a depth to it that sits behind it of knowing the love of God. That's what God is like. And so Jesus had come and he says, my hour has now come. He'd love them to depart out of the world. And then in verse two, it goes on. And it kind of switches a little bit. It says, during supper, the devil already, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Um, that, that there's a bit of a switch in verse 2 of kind of this comparison of you've got Jesus coming to love and now Judas, he's giving himself over to another deal of betrayal, of allowing evil into his heart and temptation, yielding to that. And uh, he gives himself to that, to betray Jesus and allow this, um, what says the devil here, he'd put it into his heart, he'd allowed the influence, I realize that can raise all sorts of questions, but it's saying there is a very real evil, evil personal force at work in the world. And I think when you look at some of the depths of the evil that goes on in the world, how do we explain all that? Um, what is behind all the evil in the world when we say that? I think even, is it, I read even earlier, Boris has said something about if China partner with Ukraine, that they don't, don't partner with that evil. He uses that term even. We do see this in the world. And so here, Judas gives way to that. And he'll betray Jesus. And I don't know, if, have you ever been betrayed? You live long enough. Um, you go through things, don't you, sometimes, where you face betrayal. I remember Gene and I, we hit that uh, quite early on in our Christian life, actually, I think, wasn't it? Where, um, and, 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 and betrayal is, requires close friendship first, doesn't it? That's why betrayal is so painful. It's not people at a distance have done something wrong. It's people that are close that have done wrong. And, and Judas was close with Jesus. Jesus. He was close with him. And it's painful when it happens. It surprises you. And how we walk those through those things matters. And we see how Jesus handles it in this story as well. But at the heart of betrayal is relationship. To betray, you must first belong. And Judas belonged in the 12. And so Jesus is around this table with a betrayer. He's also around the table with a bunch of disciples who are very status hearted people. They wanted to position. And we know that from the other stories around the, the story of the Passover and this meal they had together, because they're grappling for, they're answering the question, who's the greatest? They're kind of dealing with that question in their own hearts and verbalizing it as well. They're really not ashamed of who's the greatest in the room. Who's the best disciple? Who's got the position of leadership? Who's got the most authority in the room? And so Jesus is sitting around a table with both Judas, who he knows is going to betray him, and with a bunch of other disciples and friends who he knows are just grappling in their own hearts and verbally about who's the greatest in the room. And, And what's Jesus going to do in that situation? What does Jesus do? And, and again, when we read these stories, we're not meant to just kind of 
look at them objectively from the outside and say, oh, well, look at these disciples and look at Judas and look at Peter and look at John and what they're like. Of course we're not. I'm going to say when I read the story, well, I'm around that table too with Jesus, aren't I? I'm in, I'm in the room. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like them in all sorts of different ways, but I'm like them. And so we're around the table with Jesus. And what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to do? Is he going to smite them? <laughs> is that what Jesus is going to do? Well, in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God, and he was going back to God. Well, hang on, who's got the most authority in the room? Who's got the highest position in the room? Who knows they have that and actually has it in the room? It's Jesus, isn't it? So here's Jesus. He's around the table with all these guys who are struggling their own hearts with all sorts of different things. What's Jesus going to do? And I think this, this story, you know, going back to the question, what's God, God like? I think what we need to have, or what I need to have all the time is, I need to Jesus to kind of realign me back with, because with, with, he came to reveal what God is like. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. Well, not God is like, look at Jesus. And I think what this, this story and the Gospels are meant to be like, really, like a defibrillator to our hearts sometimes. There's one sit out the front of the building, I think, on the front. Well, you defrib, you know, if your heart stops, bang. And I think the stories are meant to shock us. I think they're meant to arrest our attention to the point of going, oh, my goodness, this is what God is like. And what Jesus does next in the story is meant to be shocking. It's meant to be like a defibrillator to us. And if we're a bit dead and if we're a bit kind of, well, sort of, you know, going through our Christian lives of, yeah, I kind of know that. I know these stories. I think <laughs> let's allow God's word to kind of, oh, my goodness, this is how good God is. This is how much God loves me. This is what the forgiveness of God really looks like. And it says in verse four, Jesus did this, knowing who he was, knowing he'd come from God, knowing who he was. He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, and he girded himself. And then he poured water into the basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded, which he had around his waist. Just pause and think about that for a minute. I mean, tr trying to think about analogies that might sort of help us think about it. I don't know. I mean, imagine you had the Queen over for lunch today. You know, Liz was coming over, because that's, that's how we like to talk. <laughs> Liz was coming over, and, um, and she came around in her robes and everything. And so you give her some food. But then after dinner, she does the washing up for you. And then she goes into your bathroom and she gets the bleach out or whatever. And she starts to clean your floor and scrub between things and get all the dirt out everywhere. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, and, and that, that illustration pales in comparison with this. Absolutely pales. What were the disciples thinking at that moment? What are we men to think at that moment? That Jesus takes the lowest position in the room. That a slave should have washed their feet when they came in the room. That was the deal. Clean the muck and the filth. And it doesn't take much to use our imagination to think that through streets 2,000 years ago, when people walked in them, what was on those streets? 
Yeah? <laughs> and Jesus gets down on his knees and he takes the absolute lowest place in the room and he washes their feet. What's God like? What's God like? Really? What would you be thinking at that moment? And the fact he washes Judas's feet. Verse 18, as you read down a bit further, it quotes Psalm 141 verse 9. It says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So that psalm is now quoted. And so Jesus, who we said betrayal requires relationship first and closeness first. Jesus had chosen Judas. He trusted Judas. He's invested him. He'd served him. He taught him. He would walked with him. He would ate with him. He'd sat around the table with him. And this psalm that says he'd lifted up his heel against me. I think it's meant to give this image like a horse has lifted up its heel maybe against a master who's just fed the horse. And yet the horse kind of lifts up its heel and kicks back. And Jesus knows that this heel is going to come and kick back on him in this betrayal that's going to happen. And yet Jesus takes hold of that heel and cleans the filth off it, the filth off it. What's God like? What is God like? Doesn't he blow up conception sometimes? You know, wow, this is God. He's come to serve, not to be served. What were we thinking? What were the disciples? I mean, Peter, we know what he was thinking because he always made his, his thoughts um, explicit. We know what he was thinking. He says, he says he came to Simon Peter and he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, what you do not realize now, but you'll understand later. Peter said, well, never, you wash my f- never shall you wash my feet. So we know what Peter was thinking, no. And Peter had a bit of a habit of saying no to Jesus, didn't he? You know, he says, no, you won't be killed. You know, you're not going to go to your death. No, I won't deny you. No, Jesus, you're not going to be arrested. Trying to stand up for him in the garden. And here, no, you're not going to wash my feet. I don't know what's going on in Peter's heart. But we, what we know is, I think, that this story here, what he says, you're going to understand later, Peter, what I'm doing for you. You will understand this. You don't quite get it now, but you're going to get it later on. I think this whole story here for Peter and then his denial and his failure and then he being restored. I think then, then the probably penny really dropped for Peter. Oh, that's the love of God. That's the grace of God. I need to let Jesus wash me and serve me. It's not about my pride and thinking I contribute to my salvation. That's what we want to do, isn't it? That's, that's so what we want to do, you know. We want to be good enough for God. If you ask people, you know, do you think you're going to go to heaven or, you know, and how, how are you going to get it? Well, I'll do good. If I'm good enough, we want to contribute. And the gospel story is we don't. <laughs> we just don't. We just don't. There's nothing we can do. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away my sin? Not my good works, not my being a good person. And it's freely accepting that as well and living in the good of that. Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. We've got to allow Jesus to serve us first. That's both the beginning of becoming a Christian is to say, actually, God, I can't do this. You've got to do it. You've done it. You've done it all for me. And I'm trusting you. 
And it's the journey of our Christian life. Continuing to trust the good news of the gospel. We're saved by grace for good works. Not by good works. So we can, you know, we're saved. But by grace. It's the grace of God. It's the God who stoops. It's the God who serves us. And I think that Jesus is just saying to Peter in this, you know, learn to live in the good of what I've done for you. Learn to serve out of that place. It is so important. It frees us from any sort of positioning in the life of the church here. You know, the fact that Jesus, in Jesus says later on, he says, look, dude, this is my example to you. I'm doing this for a reason. I want you to look at this. I want you to remember this and know this ultimately points to the cross, my ultimate act of service for you. But also I want it to be an example to you for the, the, and I know you know this as a church, but the culture that we're to have in the life of the church, in the church family, is to be this one of preferring one another, this one of serving one another, this one of willfully taking that lowest position, not jockeying for position in the church, and not comparing with one another. The gospel wonderfully frees us from that comparison or being critical of one another or anything like that the gospel frees us from those things and enables us to say actually no i just want to serve because we're first served and that's where it comes from if we serve from from a place if we start to give ourselves and think if we think that this passage is primarily about us and all oh, right yeah great we've got to just get on and serve in the church without fully allowing the the defibrillator, if you like, of Jesus and what Jesus does in this story. In taking the lowest place, in washing the disciples' feet, in, in what he's done in this story and what it points to. Then our serving will soon become drudgery and duty and it will not be delight. But if it is out of the place of allowing him to serve us first. Then actually that fuels our service. And you as a church have an amazing reputation of serving others, actually. You know, just being here for the past few weeks and we're getting to know people a bit and getting to know what you're doing and all the rest of it. and It's amazing. Both in the organized stuff you do, you know, things like the fish, the school holiday stuff, or things like the um, cap and um, food bank and... Um, all those things, but then the way you serve each other in your community groups and just in the organic life of the church, just hearing stories about the way people just loving one another, serving one another, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful thing. And it's a good thing. This is, and I guess what I'm not trying to tell you something new here, but let's keep doing maybe what God is encouraging us to do this morning, which is to abide in Him. That's been coming through, isn't it? Dwell in Him, pause. And just rest in God's forgiveness and grace to you because that is, that is the fuel for service of others, isn't it? For then doing what Jesus said. He said, if you, you'll be blessed if you now go and do this. It's our posture into the world, isn't it? As we go from this place this week, this afternoon, this evening. The, the fact is, there will be a myriad of opportunities for us to apply this in the next few hours. In the next days, won't there? And what does this mean for me? What does this mean in my relationships? What does it mean in my family, in my marriage? What does it mean in my workplace? What does it mean with my neighbours and my friends? What does it mean with wherever, in school or university? What does it mean? I would encourage you 
take this and, and meditate on it, chew over it, think about it and ask God, how do I have this as my posture into the world and continue to do that and continue to grow in it? Shall we stand? And I'd like to pray for us. And um, Julian, have you got, did you? You have. Brilliant. Good man. Um, I just asked him for a certain song. <laughs> At Kings, we call this doing a goff. Um, if those of you know Goff Hope, uh, Goff's one of the elders in, in, in Norwich. And <laughs> Goff has a habit of sort of getting up to the front and saying, um, we're just going to sing a completely different song now. And you can see the, band, the worship band's faces behind them. I mean, we, we always have a good laugh about this. It's, it's all good. <laughs> but I felt the song, how deep the Father's love, just right from the get-go almost of this morning. I just felt that song, how deep the Father's love. It's an old school song. It's an old hymn if you don't know it. Um, so some of the you know words or the phraseology in it might be a bit kind of old school. And just get past that and get to the it's a beautiful song about God's love. And um, just thought it would be good for us to land there really. And if you're not a Christian um, and you're just kind of grappling, just ask God if you're real, I want to know. If this love is real, I want to know. If this forgiveness is true, I want to know it. I want it. And maybe use this song even as a prayer. Yeah. But let's deepen, let's just, yeah, use it as a prayer. And Lord, I pray that, Father, just as we sing now, that you would do and you would deepen in us. And like Paul prays, I pray that you know the heights and the breadth and the depths of God's love, that we can never stop praying that prayer like we've got to the end of it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us more and more of the love of God, that then out from that we go into the world and we love and serve others, Jesus. But the fuel for it is your love and grace to us. Amen.